0: You know, there's a lot that goes into preparing a sermon, a lot that uh, is never heard by the congregation, a lot of studying, a lot of diagramming of scriptures and finding cross-references and how to exegete the text and all that good $5 word stuff. You know, in all that preparation, there are two things uh, about... A message that are incredibly challenging but vital to a sermon, and it's this: illustrations and applications. Um, every month, the pastors uh, in our association get together for a, a pastors' prayer breakfast. And the last one I went to, this subject of sermon preparation came up, and uh, I was speaking to this pastor who's been in the ministry for 30 years, and Uh, He he said, you know, it takes me uh, several hours to to write a message. And I said, man, that takes me that long, too. And he says, you know, the time never changes in in preparation for a sermon, regardless of how many years you've been preaching. And he said it takes him the most time and the the most difficult part of writing a sermon is finding creative ways uh, to kind of illustrate the points of that sermon and how to articulate the the application uh, in such a way that people can take it out of there and and use it uh, to uh, effectively change their lives. And so the reason why we spend so much time on those things, the illustrations and the application, is because those are the things that usually stick in people's minds uh, when they hear a sermon. And so the object of a pastor, a good pastor, would be, to bring about illustrations that clearly explain the point of the text that we're looking at, and then uh, to draw out the application points that everybody can relate to. And and that's not easy to do. And and the reason uh, why we spend so much time on that, again, not just that it sticks in people's mind, but um, there is a a reliability that needs to come from our sermons, meaning we've got to be able to trust what's being said, right? Um, we've got to, to know that when we hear something from God's Word and we apply it the way that it's been preached to us, uh, that we're going to get the result that God promised us. There's got to be a reliability in those things. But then there's also got to be a relatability. I and mean, We've got to be able to connect it from our hearts and our minds um, into reality. And so, uh, for example, you know, a pastor would have a, a very hard time um, with a church full of farmers, if all he used his illustrations were about quantum physics, right? Uh, we can't grasp those things as old as farmers, and vice versa. Um, you know, a youth pastor would struggle to find application uh, if uh, all that he talked about were pertaining to married couples, right? You know, teenagers can't relate to that yet. And so, the reason I kind of begin our time this evening talking about that is because we're about to look at one of the most popular passages of scripture in the whole Bible. It's probably the most memorized and most quoted scripture uh, from weddings to funerals to worship services. Uh, this this psalm is kind of everywhere. I call it the coffee cup psalm, right? It's it's on the coffee cup and we, we've known it and we really have grown to love it. But the reason I think that this is such a popular passage of scripture, or a popular psalm Uh, Is because it communicates some very reliable information in a very relatable way. And God uh, expresses to us through this psalm his relationship to us. And it takes the place, uh, or it takes place rather, in, in one big illustration. And the psalm I'm talking about tonight is Psalm 23. So if you have your Bible, please turn there with me, Psalm 23. Many of you probably don't even need to turn there you've got this psalm memorized and that is wonderful. And my prayer tonight is that the Lord would truly reveal this psalm to us in a fresh way and it, it would just the truths of what comes out would just ignite uh, a fire in our heart. But you know, when I was planning on this series of preaching through the Psalms, uh, I assumed that this psalm would be there because it is such a popular one and and I've preached this this psalm before and Last time I preached this psalm, I preached it from the perspective of kind of the main theme of the text, which is God is for God. There's a lot of good things in this psalm, but the reason for these good things is it's about God's sovereignty and his glory over the benefits that we get. And we'll we'll talk about that a little bit this evening. But as I was studying and preparing this message um, just a couple weeks ago, uh, as I was reading through it. Uh, The thing that stuck out the most to me as I was reading through it this time was just the imagery that is used in this psalm and how David perfectly illustrates our relationship with God in a very um, tangible way. And so it brings about for us a lot of important applications as we'll see tonight. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to break this psalm up over the next two weeks. I know the psalm is only six verses long. Uh, But I really want us to take time and go through this very carefully. And so we're going to look at verses 1 through 3 this evening. And then next week, uh, we'll finish up with verses 4 through 6. So I'm going to go ahead and read the whole psalm to us tonight. And then we'll go back and we'll look at uh, these first three verses. So Psalm 23, starting in verse 1, the Word of God says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Isn't that just a beautiful psalm? Right off the bat, there are two observations that I want us to see here uh, as we get into our time tonight the first one is, is the analogy that david uses right uh, he he refers to god as a shepherd how many of you ever worked with sheep yeah me neither right that's not a very common thing around here but when you look at this and you and i that have never worked sheep we may see this illustration as not being relevant to us there's no reliability to it but The truth of the matter is, when we read that psalm, we understand what's being said, not from the perspective of a shepherd, but from the perspective of a sheep, do we not? And so David uses this analogy because he realizes that we all can relate to what it means to be a sheep. Next, uh, the second observation, we see that this psalm is, is kind of broken up into two distinct parts, verses one through three. Um, David is declaring some things about God concerning his relationship with him, right? Um, The next thing in the second part, in verses 4 through 6, David goes from speaking about God to speaking directly to God. And it's in this observation of speaking directly to God that we find our lesson on worship, which we will get to um, next week. But going back to our verses tonight, verses 1 through 3, I want us to take a look at what David is saying. He begins this Psalm um, like he does everyone so far that we've looked at. He refers to God as Yahweh, right? He, He wants us to know who he's talking about. And so we know that this is the great I am, right? The God of the universe, the holy of holies, the holiest there is. But David wants us to understand that he has a relationship with this God that's very intimate. Man, most Jews looked at God as unapproachable, but not David, right? David did not see God as this distant being who could not be approached, but he refers to this God, Yahweh, as my shepherd. And folks, this is very important. I want us to see this tonight. He knows God's name, and he calls him by name. And as we read that first line, that first phrase in that psalm, it ought to make us think about our own relationship with God. What kind of relationship do you have with God tonight? Is he personal to you? Do you know him? Are you familiar with? with his name does he know your name you've heard me say this many times it's there's a world of difference between knowing about god and knowing god david shows us here by referring to god as his shepherd that he knows god and more importantly god knows him next is look at this analogy it is one of a of a shepherd and for david this was probably one of the most intimate references to God that he could make. So far in our study of Psalms, we've seen David refer to God as Lord or Master. But here, he calls him Shepherd. Man, this resonated with David because we know that David was what? He was a shepherd, was he not? And he was a very good shepherd. If you look in, in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel 17 uh, tells us what kind of shepherd David was. He was fearless. He he was caring. He was a providing shepherd. He took great care of the sheep that were entrusted uh, to him. The Bible talks about how David went so far as to risk his life fighting off lions and bears for the sake of the sheep. So, So David understands this relationship a shepherd has with the sheep, right? But here we see David is not taking the position of the shepherd. He's a sheep, and God is his shepherd. So what's the significance of this? This is a very important part. point, rather, to this, this psalm. I don't want us to miss this. David did understand the responsibilities of, of a shepherd. He understood the compassion necessary to be a good shepherd, the faithfulness of a shepherd looking and watching over his flock. David recognized these things about God and He sees the the sovereign power of God at work in his life, the love, the faithfulness of God. And so the result here is that David has taken a position of a submissive sheep. Let me say that again. David has now taken the position of a submissive sheep. And the reason for this is because he knows that, that God loves him and cares for him. And so David can trust God just like a sheep trusts its shepherd. And folks, this is a very important point to this whole psalm. God is our as our shepherd is a good shepherd and can be trusted. And we he further proves this at the end of verse 1. He says the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The literal rendering of this phrase is I shall lack nothing. Don't you love that? There wasn't a need in David's life that was not filled by his shepherd. David was confident that if God was his shepherd, he would need nothing in this life. He would have all that he needed. He he reiterates this point in several other Psalms. Let me give you a couple. Psalm 3410, David says, those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Man, isn't that great? If we will seek the Lord, we will lack no good thing. Psalm 37:25 is a passage that my wife and I have gotten to know really well, especially in the, uh, the early years of our marriage when we struggled financially. We struggled uh, with some decisions that we were trying to make, and we didn't want to make the wrong decision. We didn't want to miss out. But listen to what what david says in psalm 37 25. he says i've been young and now i'm old yet i've never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread oh folks what a great promise that we can lean on the righteous are never forsaken their children don't have to beg for bread because the shepherd makes sure that we lack nothing let me ask you tonight folks do you Do you believe that? Man, do you have that same confidence that David had when he says, because the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He's all that I need and he will provide everything that I need. God is good on his promise to provide. Folks, that just brings tears to my eyes, joy to my heart just to think that that God has that kind of regard for me and for you. That if we are one of his sheep, he has promised to give us all we need. Man, I could I could preach a whole sermon on that, that one verse. Let's move on. But, but before we do, don't forget, he's a good shepherd. And that good shepherd gives his sheep what's needed. These next uh verses are going to show us how he provides for his sheep. There are four declarations that David makes about God, and I want to go through them quickly. Verse two says, he he makes me to lie down in green pastures. And this is kind of a forceful statement from David. Uh, He says, God makes him lie down. Now, why would God have to make David do something like that? You would think Again, with the analogy of a sheep, you would think that sheep would want to lie down, right, on their own. But this is just a beautiful picture of God's sovereign wisdom over his people. Um, I've been reading on shepherds and sheep, and and there's an interesting point here that goes along here with this passage. Uh, In the noonday sun, when it's hot, uh, it's really easy for sheep to overheat because of all their wool and then they can die if they continue to graze and move forward and because that extra exertion just will cause them to kind of overheat and they'll they'll just uh, pass away and so when it gets hot like that a good shepherd uh, will lead the flock to a, a very cool area of pasture a very shady place where there's plenty of food and there's water close by so the sheep don't have to continue to strive to look for those things. And what the the shepherd will do is he'll just go and he'll just sit down. And he doesn't break their legs and knock them down. He just goes and he sits down. And because the sheep trust the shepherd, they sit down too. And so this is a picture of how God guides us to fulfill his purpose for our lives in the right way and we can trust him if we keep our eyes on him instead of striving in our own efforts we will get what we need because our shepherd will lead us to it psalm 127 describes this point perfectly this is a a psalm from david's son solomon who understood what it was like to toil and strive after things and not get what you needed, right? That's the, the whole point of Ecclesiastes. But listen to what Psalm one twenty seven two says. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Did you catch that? God gives his beloved sleep. We find our rest in him. So as he leads us into green pastures, And he makes us lie down. It's because he knows that there is where we need to be in that moment. And the reality is, if we know our shepherd, our heart desires that same thing. And it's restless if it's not pursuing the shepherd. Uh, The great early church father, St. Augustine, said this very famously. He says, for you have made us for yourself, O God, and our heart is restless until it rests in you folks apart from the guidance of the shepherd we won't we won't lay down and rest we'll keep striving we'll keep pushing and we'll die the sheep knows that the shepherd has their best interest at heart and he leads them to places of security and plenty and i love at the end of verse two it's a place of rest he leads me look at this in verse 2, he leads me beside still waters. Anytime we see that reference in the scriptures, it refers to, to rest. A calm brook or a small pool of water. Let me just ask you this. Aren't you glad our God desires for us to rest when it's appropriate? I tell you, we, we live in such a driven World And man, we're in a rat race all the time, trying to get more, get ahead, be the first. But I tell you, folks, Jesus tells us to come away and rest. I love what Mark chapter 6 says, verses 30 and 31. It says, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that he'd done and taught. And Jesus said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while for many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat man this is a a beautiful command here for us folks it's a wonderful thing to know that God leads us to rest I tell you as a as a pastor if I can just talk about this for just a minute it's it's a very daunting thing to to pray and to preach and to work and to carry these burdens of of people and to care for their souls man i love it but it is hard work it's tiring and here's what i'm learning slowly but surely that any success i have for the kingdom any breakthrough that i may communicate to you or any help that i may be to you or any benefit comes from my work is a direct result of his sovereign hand at work in me and he accomplishes what he wants through me as long as I stay connected to him so here's what this means I don't have to feel guilty when it comes to rest you tonight if you are trusting your shepherd and you're following him you can lay down when he tells you to It's okay to rest. It's a gift from the good shepherd to his sheep. So folks, we should take it and we should thank him for it. The next references at the end of verse two and three speak of of God not just giving us rest, but but also restoring us. Um, And this is a reference to bringing back to life or returning something to life. I, I, I love this part. David is saying that God restores or brings his soul back to life this is talking about a a returning to our purpose man it's getting our life realigned or 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 put back in the right perspective David is saying that God puts his heart back on the right things you know sheep are, are wanderers are they not Luke 15 tells us that uh, we'll see that in just a minute. Sheep tend to to just wander off, and they lose their way, and in their pursuit for for better grass or whatever, they leave their shepherd. But a good shepherd brings them back. He restores them to their original purpose, puts them in their original place, and in the church we call this revival. You know, I, I just finished uh, preaching a revival. Last week, and and I tell you, I'm kind of apprehensive about revivals uh, in themselves because I think that oftentimes we have the wrong understanding of what a revival is. We think if we just meet on some different nights and we get some different preachers in there that, man, that's what revival is. But the truth of the matter is, folks, revival, a bringing back, a restoring us to our purpose, is in the hands of the great shepherd only unless god revives a heart it won't be revived and so revival is not something that we can manufacture um, uh, on our own but let me let me say this It is so needed we need revival desperately in this church in our nation in my own heart i need to be revived But folks, I can't do it myself. I can't make myself be revived. Only the shepherd can restore our soul. But here's what a wandering sheep can do. A wandering sheep can stop wandering. But then they must cry out so the shepherd can go get them. Here's what I believe. If we truly desire revival... It doesn't come in setting aside certain times on the calendar. It comes from crying out to our shepherd to come restore the sheep. And you know what? When we cry out, he'll find us. And when he finds us, he brings us back into the fold where we need to be. And that is along the paths of righteousness, as David says. These are the paths that we can bring him the most glory in, what we were created to do. These are these paths of our purpose and a path that shows the world our great God who lives in us. And the last part of verse 3 tells us why he does this for us, why he restores our soul and leads us in these paths of righteousness and why the green pastures are so good. And let me preface what I'm about to say with this. Uh, In no way do I seek to diminish the feeling that you have for this psalm. This is a good word tonight. This is a good psalm. It is full of these beautiful promises of, of God. But I want us to accurately understand why God does these things for us. Why does our shepherd lead us into green pastures and make us lie down and lead us beside still waters and restore our soul and lead us in paths of righteousness. He tells us, and I want you to pay very close attention to why, look at what it says, verse three. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And I want you to circle that word, his. You see, it's not necessarily our glory, our benefit solely, that God does these good things. All these things that God does in us as our shepherd is for his sake. Now, I realize that can bring about a temptation to kind of diminish the meaning of this psalm as i said but we read these first three verses and we can think man god's all about us and he is he loves us but if we're not careful we can become the center of the universe in our minds and we can think that all the glory and all the good that we have we are somehow deserving of it and we've got to be very careful to understand that all the good that God brings is because he's good first, not because we're deserving. This phrase here at the end of verse three shows us that we're not the focus. It's not about the sheep it's about the shepherd and folks this is so important. God didn't create us because he needed us. we don't make up a missing piece of God. You understand tonight that we don't complete something in him that is is lacking. If, If none of us were ever born, God would not be devoid of anything. We don't add to his glory, but he did create us to make it shine. But that's only when we live to please him. And the reason that he does all these things in our lives is not primarily for us. It's for him. I know how difficult that can be when you've read it all your life and made it about you. But I promise you, if we see the real reason for it, we'll find so much more joy in this psalm. I'll never forget, I had a guy come up to me a couple years ago, several years ago, actually, when I preached this psalm. And I could tell you it was troubled. And he said, uh, I didn't like what you said about God being for God. That was the title of my message he said, I've never heard it preached that way, you know. And I don't like the fact that God wouldn't do all these things for me just because he loves me. You know, that got me thinking about something. That God does love you. And the fact that he does those things for his glory doesn't diminish or devalue his love for us. In fact, I think we've got to understand that God's glory and his love are not at odds with each other. In fact, if his glory is not manifested, then his love is not genuine. And he cannot love us unless he glorifies himself. And so we can't separate the two. And when we understand that, it brings a whole new understanding to our life. And so here's what God did for us. And I I pray this is beneficial. As I was praying through this and, and thinking about this message and studying it out, the Lord gave me an illustration that I hope uh, makes this point very clear to us. How many of you have, have ever been to the state fair? Um, yeah, I love going to the state fair. We used to go in school and haven't been in a while. But last March, Laura and I got to go down to uh, to Houston. A friend of mine was getting married and and the Houston Rodeo was going on at the same time, and so man, that's a big to-do. It's basically like a, a state fair and a rodeo and a carnival, kind of all in one, and it is truly big, right? Uh, and so we got an opportunity to go down there, and so we walked around, and, and they had this pavilion there. And it, the only th- reason that pavilion was open was for, for livestock shows, and you've, you've been to those, right? And so it's just rows and rows and rows of all kinds of livestock. Cows and goats and sheep. And, and what do they do with those animals in those livestock shows? They parade them around, right? They groom them. They make them smell good, look good. And then they just prance them around the arena. And if they win a prize or if they, they are the best in show, they win a prize, maybe some money. And some of, some of those places, they can win a lot of money. And so I want you to think about this for just a minute. Think about the sheep. And just think about this sheep at this show. If, if, if a person brought in a sheep to this livestock show that was dirty and mangled up and dehydrated and starving and smelled bad, do you think they would win? No, absolutely not. You see, in order to win that prize, the owner of that sheep must get that sheep in the best shape of its life it's got to look healthy and clean and smell good Man, and i tell you not only that but they got to be taken care of even when they're not being shown we had an opportunity to go back behind the thing and just kind of look at some of the rvs and the trailers uh, that those sheep and those cows were brought into Man, some of those things are nicer than my house right i mean they have air conditioning and these pillows and and just luxury and these sheep get to ride in this air conditioning in this air conditioned trailer and they have all the food and water they could ever want and now here's what I want you to see if the owner takes good enough care of that sheep and then they'll win the contest and they'll get a whole lot of money and that owner will then take and put some of that money back into the sheep to continue to make that sheep. Look better and better and better. But here's what I want us to see. Who gets the prize money? The sheep? No. The owner. You see, the owner receives the prize. The owner receives the glory for the sheep looking good. Now, you may say, well, that's just kind of exploitation. The owner's using that sheep to make money or to gain glory. But I want you to think about this. The more that owner wins the more prize money he rolls in, the more notoriety he gets, the better that sheep's life is. I guarantee you, if those sheep could talk, they wouldn't complain one bit about riding around in an air-conditioned trailer, laying in a pen full of water and food, being washed and groomed. You see, these are all benefits that the sheep gets from bringing glory To their owner. And I tell you, that's not a bad life for sheep. And tonight, if I can tell you the truth, it's not a bad life for us to reap the benefits of a God who is providing for and caring for and leading us in a way that brings Him glory first. And as He's glorified through us, we benefit. From those good things. But we have to keep it in the right perspective. We have to stay in the right place. As the sheep. Not the owner. And you see David has no problem. Staying a sheep. Folks we shouldn't either. Tonight. We we waste the blessings of God so much. And diminish his glory. If we simply try to keep those things for ourselves. And make us the focus of those things and if we're honest we know he doesn't do these things because we deserve them right i mean we do know that the houses we live in the air that he allows us to breathe you have to believe that we're not entitled to any of that right david says it's for a different reason Not because we deserve it, but because he's good. And and as he gives us those things, he receives glory. And as the world looks at us and sees what a life led and cared for by God looks like, then they will want to become his sheep and they will want to bring him glory as well. And the more glory he gets, the more benefits we reap. Folks, that's that's a good thing for us. We don't have time tonight, but if you want to study this point out of God's glory and the benefits that we reap from it, uh, I would encourage you to, to look at Ezekiel 36. That's a very powerful passage that um, that can shake us, but I think it helps us get the right perspective of God. And so next week, we'll pick up with verse four, where David moves from declaring these things about God to, speak, to speaking directly uh, to him. And it's this powerful transition that teaches us so much about God's sovereignty uh, in our lives. And how that prompts us to worship him in a way that that he deserves. So we'll look at that next week. But as we close, I want to encourage you with this. I want to show you one more thing. Um, this story of the shepherd and the sheep that David shows us is a beautiful picture of the gospel. And the fact that we are even considered his sheep is incredibly humbling. That a holy, righteous God would look at me and look at you and choose to treat me as a sheep instead of as a wolf, right? He would have certainly been justified in killing me off a long time ago. But he didn't. And he's done something for us that will take an eternity for us to thank him for. Flip over with me really quickly to John uh, chapter 10. John chapter 10 will be done. You you probably all know this passage well. but John chapter 10, Jesus uses this same analogy of a a shepherd and a sheep to illustrate a, a greater, more eternal point than just a good life here listen to what he says john 10 starting verse 7 jesus said to them again truly truly i say to you i am the door of the sheep all who came before me are thieves and robbers but the sheep did not listen to them i am the door if anyone enters by me he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy but i have come Listen to this, that they may have life and have it abundantly. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who's a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. There are two things Jesus says here. I want to show you and then we'll be done. Um, we do understand that everyone who walks the earth is not a sheep, right? In the previous passage of John 10, Jesus says that there's only one way to enter in the sheepfold, and that's through the door. And then in verse 7, he says, uh, I am the door, right, very clearly. The only way to get into the sheepfold of God's people is is through me. I am the only source of salvation. We know that, right? You and I cannot come to God unless we enter through Jesus. And so none of the benefits that we see in Psalm 23 are ours unless we come to God through Jesus. And we call entering this door faith, right? Believing that what Jesus came and did on the cross was for us and trusting in his work and that it was sufficient to forgive us from our sins and restore us to a relationship with God. Folks, that's what being saved is, right? But that's not all. this is so important. Verse 11 tells us that Jesus is also something else. He's not only the way to God, but he's a shepherd himself. I'm the good shepherd. Jesus is the one who cares for his sheep. So listen, Jesus is not only the source of our salvation, he is the sustainer of our salvation. And our future hinges greatly on upon our relationship with the shepherd. The point I want us to see here is that faith in Jesus is necessary for salvation. But listen, so is sustained faith after the moment of that initial profession. We, we don't just walk through the door of Jesus and forget all about Jesus. Rather, we walk through the door of the gospel to follow the good shepherd wherever He goes. You see the point here? Being a sheep in God's sheepfold is not about walking through the door of Jesus to go reap the benefits of green grass and still waters and righteous paths and to go pursue those things on our own. Because the truth is, we'll never find those things apart from the shepherd. True salvation, folks, is walking through the door of the gospel To join ourselves forever to the side of our shepherd, to follow him to green pastures, to still waters, to paths of righteousness. But maybe you're here this evening, and I know that some of us who have walked through that door to our shepherd have wandered off, and we're not following him like we should. I've wandered. Maybe you're looking for green pastures, but you've wound up in a dry desert. You've been looking for still waters and you found nothing. And you're thirsty and hot and tired. Man, can I give you some great news tonight? Our good shepherd is looking for you. All you have to do is stop wandering. Stop searching. Just stop where you are and cry out to your shepherd. Tell him you've lost your way. Tell him you know that his way is better and you want to follow him again. Tonight, if you'll cry out to him as a lost sheep, he'll do what he promised. He'll leave the 99 and come find you. And you know what? There'll be much rejoicing when he does. Folks, I don't know about you, but when I read this psalm, my heart craves that kind of life filled with what we've seen in these passages. My heart aches to lie down in those green pastures, and I yearn for the still waters. I long for my soul to be restored. And I believe tonight you do too. I believe that you want these same things for your life. And the key to it all is one name, Jesus. It all depends on who your shepherd is. It all depends on whether or not you are a sheep who is faithful to the shepherd, who trusts the shepherd to lead you to know what is best and so the question is are you stuck trying to figure this out on your own or are you following your shepherd i want to pray for us in just a minute but as i pray my my prayer is just that god would make us right with him our shepherd that we would love him that we would reap the benefits that he has for us as we give him glory You know, I was just thinking about this the other day. How awesome would it be for us as God's sheep to live and to roll around in green pastures and to show the world what a joy it is to walk the path of righteousness with him. And God's calling us to be those sheep. But it all depends on how connected we are to the shepherd. Let's pray.